0: Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading. If you would like to follow along, you can find a Bible in the seat in front of you, underneath. Uh, Today's scripture reading can be found on page 51 of those Bibles, and it's Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 28. This is the word of the Lord. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated.
1: You can imagine with me if you were an Israelite at the time of these events that you would have been likely... Most of your days in knee-deep mud with your arms completely covered, with your face smeared as you're digging out mud and placing it on nearby, you know, sacks or nearby um, different kinds of uh, wood pallets or you name it, and off to be drug away as somebody else would grab mud off that, slam it into some kind of mold, flip it over, set it on the ground to make sure it looked right as a brick in order for that to be picked up, taken away by other people, to be burned in kilns so that they would be heated up nice and hard. And then those would be taken away and used to either build homes or more likely to build some of these temples for the false gods that they had heard so much about. In the middle of all that struggle, you had some taskmaster over you who seemed to getting more and more frustrated as the weeks go along. Yeah, they had all experienced the strangeness of the Nile going into blood. And they all experienced trying to find water. And they all experienced this Creaking all night long. You can imagine them sitting there going, Can you remember what those frogs were like? It was just ridiculous. All you heard all night. I wanted to like strangle frogs for days. Yeah, man, I just didn't get it. We didn't have much water. Then we had frogs everywhere. I'm still sweeping the dead ones out of my house. Seriously. And then the gnats. I mean, how many more bites can we handle? This is ridiculous. And of course, it just makes all of our taskmasters more angry. Finally, one person just looks at them and says, You know, who's to blame for all this stuff anyway? And one guy says, Well, it's Moses and Aaron. They keep going into Pharaoh saying stuff and it keeps getting worse. And of course, eventually the rumbling amongst the groups look at each other. And I think somebody probably eventually asked the question, you know, if, if God's for us, if this, if Yahweh is for us, I wish he'd just show us at some point. You ever felt a little bit like that in the last couple of years? where it feels like every time you turn around, something's just falling apart next. Uh, you know, you've got, you're, you're, you've got health issues with COVID. We've got all of this, all these businesses shutting down. Many of your jobs have been threatened. You're just looking at life and you're, you're maybe feeling a little bit like my teenage son does at times, where he's just looking at the culture and just going... God, dad, I'm just so mad. Why does God just show up and do something? Like, why does it have to go so bad all the time? And what's funny is I want to tell him, like, dude, it's not, you are living in the best time ever. I mean, I just watched something on the eighties and it's incredible what we have right now. It, it is a great time. And yet it's so difficult in so many ways, just a little bit of suffering. And we're off complaining and wondering, you know, if God was really for the church, wouldn't we see something? I mean, it seems like everybody's leaving the church. Everything's falling apart, all this stuff wouldn't God just let us know? But what if he is? What if he is showing us and we're just not seeing it? What if he is actually engaging to reveal that he is for us and we just need a minute to step back and look? And that's what we're going to do today. So if you have a Bible and you don't have it open yet, uh, if you do, you're at Exodus 8. Good. Join us in Exodus chapter 8. We're going to be going through several different plagues here. Now, what's happened is Moses and Aaron indeed have been talking to Pharaoh. They've been sent by Yahweh, their God, to call for him to release his people. And so as you're opening at home, as you're opening outside, we're catching up to this point where now suddenly you have You have Pharaoh looking around at at the situation going, well, you know, we're going to keep going. I'm going to be determined. I'm going to hold on to these Israelites. There's no way I am listening to this Yahweh figure. And so there have been three plagues. There's been a whole mess with some snakes on the floor and everything else going on. And yet still he is holding on because he's in charge. The background for Pharaoh is he's supposed to be the incarnation of the son of Ra. He is this god on earth who's in control of what's called ma'at which is the in the in the experience of the egyptians the control over the nile the control over the gods the control over all of these things to keep peace and order in the universe And what God is doing is he's directly attacking that vision, that worldview with their own gods. And so it's just chaos after chaos after chaos as the people are starting to go, does Pharaoh really have control of this or not? What is happening here? Who is this Yahweh and why does he seem to be beaten up on everybody all the time? And so our champion today is going to do some more. He's going to kind of shake it up a little bit more as Moses is supposed to go and pick it up then right here in verse 20 says, then Yahweh said to Moses, now remember when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in those little caps, that's the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So that's how I'm going to say it. So then Yahweh said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says Yahweh. Let my people go that they may serve me. We'll pause right there. So already here is the situation. Pharaoh's out on the water. He's standing around and he looks up and there's Moses on the side of the water on the Nile. Anybody got deja vu right now? We've already seen this. It was three plagues ago that Moses was standing there. And he's like, we're going to smack the water, you know, raise the stick, smack the water. God does big stuff, right? And so Pharaoh is looking at the exact same scenario that happened maybe months ago. We're not even sure how long, but he's looking at him. And he's going, hey, isn't that Moses? Haven't I seen? Oh, no, it's happening again. That's exactly what's going on. He's like, oh, it's repeat time. In fact, you'll notice that, the, that in the morning, every first of the three, you're going to go through one, two, three plagues. And first ones in the morning, one, two, three plagues, first ones in the morning, one, two, three plagues, first ones in the morning. It's a literary attempt to try to get you to focus on these little memorization, three plagues, three plagues, three plagues, break number 10, and then we're off on the Exodus. And so this is starting it all over. And so we see suddenly that, you know, Pharaoh's looking at Moses and Moses is going to warn, if you don't let my people go, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get this on the screen right here flies everywhere, right? That's what we're seeing. I love that. That was so cool. Thanks, Yvette. And so what's cool about this is that we see this word, there are going to be swarms of flies shall be there. And you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. You want to know who's really in charge of the world, who's really in charge of the land. God says, I am, and I'm going to prove it to you because I'm going to send these swarms of flies. Now, the word is not Swarms of flies. We get the flies from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew, the word is simply just mixture, like a mixed up bunch of something like a, then they call it a swarm. And so you could really begin to go like, oh, wait a minute. What's going on here is it's a mixture of bugs, all kinds of bugs. You name it. Like someone pointed out, oh, maybe it's the beetle. And we all know that the scarab beetle is like a big deal in, in ancient Egypt. In fact, the scarab beetle gods right there in the middle, kind of roughly what it would have looked like. Um, there's several drawings of them all over the place. That's kind of a messed up one, but it, it was a, they would have a scarab as a face, kind of a freaky thought for a, for a God. Let's have a scarab bug face God, you know, kind of thing. They had all kinds of gods over all of them. And really what it would have looked like is how many guys have seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Anybody here? seen? seen oh, you bad people. I'm just kidding. I have to. Uh, so and what's interesting is that point where Willie is supposed to save Indy from being crushed by the spikes and all that stuff. She's supposed to reach her hand into all these, this bug encrusted, like they're all over the place and turn this little handle. She can't do it. And he's like, we are going to die. Right. And then she comes away and she's covered in bugs. That's the picture. You're talking about centipedes coming up out of the ground, flies swarming in, mosquitoes flying in. You've got got flying termites, uh, burrowing termites, ants popping up out of the ground. And these are problems in Egypt, and they are just swarming. So much so, listen to how it's described. He says, release my people that they may serve me, or else if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms on you and your servants, and your people, and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms, and the ground on which they stand. So you can imagine you're trying to eat, and there's just bugs on your food. And as you walk, all you hear is... And it's horrible because of one thought. Egyptians don't have something we have. They didn't wear shoes. Only the high wealthy people wore shoes occasionally because you didn't need shoes. And so everywhere you went was wiggle, 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 squish. Wiggle, 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 squish. Oh, it's just disgusting. It is all over the place. Am I giving anybody the heebie-jeebies yet, right? Okay, this is gross. It's like the whole world went crazy. Exactly. If You saw bugs like popping about everywhere, crawling over everything, just going nuts. You're like, something really bad is going on, or I just got dropped into a horror movie. Something is horrible here. And that's exactly the scenario. Ma'at is gone. They're wondering, why is, why, is this, why is Pharaoh not controlling this mess? What in the world is happening? And in the insanity of the bugs and all this stuff going on, I want you to not forget to notice what your text is telling you. Starts right here. He says, I'm going to do it on your people and in your houses. The your is singular. It's aiming at Pharaoh. So it's only in his homes? No, actually what he's saying is all the homes were Pharaoh's. It's a very important connection here that we need to make as we kind of delve into the rest of these plagues. It's a connection that the Bible is going to make throughout your Bible. If you're new to your Bible and you're just starting reading it or you've been reading it for years, this will help you, especially when it comes to prophecies and different stuff. Because oftentimes you'll read about a judgment on a king, like a king of Tyre or one of these kings or beasts in the, in the, in the book of Revelation. A king always represents his people. Let me say that again. A king always represents his people. As the people go, so go the king. In other words, we like to say it, we get the leadership we deserve. Everybody knows that statement? In America, we vote them in. In their world, they just, they followed their leader and became like their leader. If they saw their leader doing sins, they did those sins. And the leader did the sins that was considered the people's responsibility to get rid of a bad king, but they wouldn't. And so God always attaches judgment of the leader to the judgment of the people. Where the king goes, so goes the people. Keep that in your mind. Because he's going to use that in this text quite a bit on purpose. And so we end up with a situation where they're going to come into your house. Verse 22. "But But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms shall be there and that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. What is interesting is Goshen hasn't been mentioned since Genesis. And if you're wondering where in the world is Goshen, in This little orange space up here underneath, that's orange, is uh, is the area of Goshen. You'll see Pethom and Ramesses. Those are the two storehouse cities that they were building at the beginning of the book of Exodus. And what's awesome is like, In your time, we are digging this area up. And there's lots of archaeological evidence that's coming out of this area. And I don't have time to get into it. We'll talk about it in that podcast that we've been kind of launching. Just another little hint towards that. But I just want you to see. We know where the location is. We know that these people were there. And what we have is an opportunity for us to kind of go, okay, God's going to set that place apart. All these people who are living in Goshen. These are the Israelites. He's saying, look, Pharaoh, your people, they get swarms of bugs. My people, they're not going to be touched. And so God makes a distinction. He sets them apart. He makes a division. And he wants to do this on purpose. Goes on and he says, and the Lord did so. And there came a great swarms in the house of Pharaoh and his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. And the land was ruined by the swarms. And so we have this sudden land that's ruined. This whole territory is worthless and it's broken down. Houses are probably breaking. Food is not good. All your storage is off and gone. And suddenly there is just this, this massive destruction, but not in Goshen. And here's the thing. Maybe you feel like why, in all the mess of our world, why doesn't God just show us? Why doesn't God just tell us, reveal to us that, hey, we're, he's on our side. He loves us. He cares about us. Well, here it is. Though those Israelites may have been wondering that, God's like, I'm not going to put it on them because God actually does love to give his people special treatment. You realize that throughout the scriptures, God loves to give his people special treatment starting here. He's like, I'm going to set these people apart. I'm not going to let them go through the judgment of Pharaoh. They're my people. They can follow the Pharaoh and they'll get judged. They can follow me and I will set them apart. They won't get these things. And this is critical because God makes this distinction between Israel and Israel. Egypt. But today, thousands of years later, that distinction isn't the same. God is not still just distincting Israel apart from the world necessarily. In fact, what's interesting is what will happen through the history, and I hate to ruin the book of Exodus, but they get out. I mean, they they escape. They, They get to go out through all kinds of cool things, and we'll get to those later. But when they enter and they stand before God in the Mount of Sinai, God gives them the law. Now, the law is this covenant that they're saying, you want to look different? Live according to this law. And if you will study the laws what you will discover is those laws compared to the pagan and the other nation's laws around them are actually extremely interesting. They make them very different. And they, when you look at them, if they were to follow them, they look a lot like our morals today in comparison to the pagan morals of the past. They were, and, and everybody else had the same moral standings, no matter what tribe and gods they were running from. In our case, Israel looked extremely different, but the problem was Israel didn't want to be different. So they kept inviting the nation's ideas and the nation's gods and these things into their life to where God said, fine, you don't want me? You want to keep like running around and sleeping with these other gods? Is basically how he puts it. I'm done with you. And he sends Israel into exile, back out into the nations. He goes, go back to the nations I brought you from. And when he does that, and they would still argue they're in exile today, it launches something new. Jesus steps up into the scene. And when Jesus comes, he isn't, the, uh, he isn't some Israelite who fails like all of our other heroes in the Bible. You ever noticed how you're like, I love David. And then you read that chapter of Bathsheba and you're like, not so in love with David, right? You're like, I love Abraham. Then why is he sleeping with Hagar? Okay, um, I love Isaiah. Wait, what are you talking about? He liked to cuss and he had to have his mouth burned in order to, what? Like, you don't have any good heroes in the Bible. Anybody really noticed that? Like, nobody's perfect. Everybody's messed up. Until you get to Jesus. That's the point. Suddenly you have a man who doesn't sin. He doesn't break the law. He's not doing it. He's he's the perfect Israelite. And what's crazy is he's the king of Israel. So perfect and as the king, he represents Israel perfectly. So that anybody who would follow him actually becomes spiritually an Israelite. But the distinction given to Israel is done. The distinction given to Israel as a nation is over because they're in the nations but it's not given to Jesus. And Jesus is distinct Israel. Now, that doesn't mean God's done with the nation of Israel. Don't get me wrong. He's still going to use them. But it does mean that his, the distinctions of treating them in the way that he promised to treat them here is different. And with, why, the reason I say that is, notice again what he says. He says, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. That word set apart is actually translated into into Greek in that Septuagint in a very specific word. And that specific word shows up two more times in your New Testament, and they're here, and that is in Romans chapter three. Paul says there is no distinction. There is no longer any special treatment, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, not by the law, not by the rules, no. They are given, a gr- they are given grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through, you could translate that as redemption that is in King Jesus. And now what you and I have is the opportunity that anybody who has sinned, including Jews, including, you know, pagans, including you name the country that you can think of or the tribal group, all of us come in the same manner by the grace as a gift. In fact, Paul gets even more explicit. In Romans chapter 10, as he's about to launch into his heartbeat and desire for his his Jewish brethren to come to faith, he says this, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him and Jesus will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The distinction's gone. They're all one group. For the same Lord is Lord of what? Of who? Of all. God is now saying, I will be God of everybody. I am done telling the nations they can't come. Israel, you've done your job. You've brought your king. The king is now inviting everyone who's exiled to come back to me. And you and I get to now come in the new exodus. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue is invited to come under King Jesus and be spiritually Israel. And when that happens, we become distinct. Suddenly, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He grants you his salvation. He grants you his presence. Because what's the rule? As the king goes, so goes his people. And right there, you realize that we are not made distinct by the rules and the laws as good as they were and as powerful as they were to make people different, we are distinct through Jesus Christ now. He is our distinction. In other words, who sanctifies you is Jesus. That's the big Christian word for it. Sanctification, which means we always thought of it as like, I must become stale, moldy, and holy all at the same time, right? That's what we think of that word. But that's not what that word means. When you become holy, when you become sanctified, you become distinct. You stick out. You're set apart from the world. Well, how do you do that? By, by obeying all the rules and doing the these and... No, 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 no. By having a relationship with the King. Jesus is your distinction. When you know the king and he impresses upon you to follow after him, yes, you will be different. You will change. In fact, if you want a master class on what it looks like to be made distinct and to be different, to be sanctified, I'm, I read this week in your home, as your homework. Take up the book of John, open up to chapter 13 and read all the way through chapter 17. You can do it. And what you're going to discover is some of the densest material teaching you how God sets his church apart. It's Jesus' final sermon to all of his people, to his disciples before he is betrayed and crucified. And what he does is he lays out in detail how he wants to make you and me, regardless of where we come from, his people like him. In fact, he gets to a point where he prays for the church. He prays for you and me. He starts praying for not just those who are with me, but those who will will believe in me, who have never seen me. He says, look, I have, he talks to the Lord and talks to his father. He says, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, set them apart, make them different and distinct in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. For their sake, I separate myself. I consecrate myself as a sacrifice. That's what that word means, that they may be set apart in truth. Now, that's a lot right there, but let's just sum it up. What Jesus has really has been saying before this is, look, God sets you apart by the presence of his spirit. I got to go so the spirit of God can come. That makes you different. The world doesn't have the spirit of God. They don't know an intimate connection with God through his spirit and his presence. And so we're able to love him and enjoy him and experience him through the word of God and through the training the word of God brings. And then when you live it, and you live for Christ, and you share Christ because he sent you into the world to do that, you are going to look different. You're going to act different. You're going to be different because the word of God is in you, and it's going to lead you into different lifestyles. You say, really? Yeah, you won't even, you're not going to suffer the same thing the world is going to suffer. Ultimately, you're not going to suffer hell. Amen? That's the point. Main is big point, but the second point is, yes, guess what? There's much of what the world suffers now that you won't suffer. Because you're transformed by his word. You're like, really? All I've heard is that like the church is the same as the world. Actually, you can get into some of these tests and begin to look. And when you, when you look at it, it's like, yes, in general, Christians have a little less of a divorce rate. But when you really pare down to people who are walking with intimacy in Christ and both people in the marriage are walking with Christ, divorce is practically zero. You're like, "Oh, really?" Yes, following Christ transforms your soul. In fact, when you dig in further, they they find as people who are truly faithful to their faith, they often just, they often have less anxiety they score better in mental health their children score better in mental health their children actually have more sense of purpose and direction we find that we are actually fam- women especially women in the always this is like the case every year it's ever announced is like who's the most sexually satisfied it's evangelical women whose husband and them actually follow jesus closely so congratulations anyway so I don't need to go into all this because I guarantee you, if you just stop for a minute and think and ask the Lord to show you the distinction of people who are in your like similar circumstances, you may discover that it's a very different thing. You go, but Greg, I am struggling. I'm suffering, man. It's been bad this year. People have like hit me for, for all kinds of weird stuff and, and it's, just, it's just ruined me. Yes, but in times, first of all, we know it's a fallen world. And we know that God is shaping our character through whatever we go through. It changes the way that you'll view these things. However, at the same time, there are reasons we do suffer uh, in other cases. For example, notice in the text again, he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. You see what he just said? The world has done what? They has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As our king is gone, so we go. So there's not a guarantee that you're going to live that excellent, perfect life. It's a guarantee that if you follow your Lord, that this world isn't going to like you too much. And maybe we need to just get a little bit more used to be being called names. Maybe we need to get a little bit more used to the fact that the world's not set up to, for us to enjoy and be safe in, but it's set up so that we can be faithful to our Lord who is faithful to his Father. And yeah, he faced some tough stuff. And it's that pressure from the world that leads to the next problem that can often lead to some of the sufferings and the reason why the church doesn't look so different. And it's something that Moses actually is going to survive here. He won't his whole life, but he'll, he'll survive it here. So let's take a look at that. Look down here at verse 25. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Underline that within the land. What does Pharaoh do? He says, ah, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You guys go sacrifice. Yeah, this flies things. It's gotten me crazy. These insects are driving me nuts. Um, You guys go ahead and go sacrifice, but you need to stay in the land. If your God's the God of the land, you can stay here. And what he does is he offers a compromise. He says, sure, sure. Okay, here's a way that you can do what your God asks. And uh, I can tell you how to do it. Well, Moses is like, I ain't going to do this. No way. He's like, "Um, our sacrifices, you're not going to like them. In fact, if I go sacrifice something that you guys hate, you're going to kill us anyway. So why would we do that? No, we got to go out of the land in order for you guys to not not stone us to death. And so Pharaoh is like, in fact, the, I like how he puts it in verse 27. We must go 3 days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to Yahweh our God as he tells us. Underline, circle, highlight because what Moses is saying is that's nice. I like your interpretation. We're going to do what God says. And so Pharaoh tries again. So Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let you go sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the wilderness. Only you can't go very far away. So pray for me. It's like, I'm still going to tell you what to do. <laughs> I mean, he's just guy can't let go. He still wants to be in charge and in control. Yeah, you, you can believe in God's word and do all that, but you still got to follow these rules. Oh, so go, go pray for me. So Moses will go pray for him kindly. I love this. Moses like, sure, sure. I'll go pray for you. Here, here's what I'll do. I'll plead to the Lord that the swarms, the swarms are going to depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people, tomorrow. Anybody remember tomorrow? Hey, Pharaoh, when you want to have the frogs leave tomorrow? Okay. Well, let stuff happen tomorrow. Little tongue in cheek there. I think it's funny. But the point is that here's to stay distinct. Moses understands if they're going to stay distinct in this world. Then they can't compromise especially when it comes to the word of God. When God tells us that we're to do something and we're like, well, he didn't really mean that. He kind of like meant sort of like this, right? I mean, you know, he didn't really mean we can't get high. It's like, he didn't say, he said, don't get drunk. It's like, that's, those are different things. I can still get high and still love Jesus. And, and uh, well, no, 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 no. It means don't be in your wrong faculties. Don't get involved in witchcraft, which all that stuff was connected to. I mean, we wouldn't change it and warp it in any way we want to do it. But you know what? Eventually what happens is when you set yourself aside from the word of God, it stops sanctifying you. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He goes all the way to the ends. I set myself apart so that they would be transformed by the truth. And what happens here is when we compromise the word of God, we will wind up giving our lives in the direction of the world. And when the world goes in a direction, we go in the direction our king goes. Some of us are suffering the frustrations in our lives because we've allowed ourselves to compromise God's word, and now we are living the consequences of the compromise. So we look like the world. Cohabiting is the biggest thing that's launched in the church since the late 2000s. The people think they got to test drive their relationships out before they get married. Do you know that's the number one way to increase your likelihood of divorce? The number one. And Christians are doing it all over the place, but it is clearly against the scriptures. That's not how you do this. The scriptures don't say move in first. The scriptures actually say, leave your father and your mother and cleave to one another when you get married. And what we've done is we've gone, well, God did really. Yes, he did. And now many of us are suffering under bad habits we formed in a cohabiting relationship that we've drawn into a marriage and it undermines the very commitments. And we have to go back and now redo some of these things because the bottom line is that when we compromise the word of God, it changes. And look, don't get me wrong, we all do this. Can we all be honest about it? I mean, I'm the pastor. I preach every week. If you think I'm living up to everything I've said, you got another think coming. I am suffering under the consequences of my compromises all the time. I would love to be Jesus standing up here and holy and perfect. And I'm striving. I would love to be. But I'm also weak and sinful in my flesh and fail. So don't, look, don't think that I'm like here to bash you over the head because I'm able to do something you're not able to. No, that's why we need Jesus. He was set apart for us. Amen that doesn't give us the excuse to go, well, now I, now I don't need to listen to it. No, if you want to be distinct, the churches that are distinct are the ones that walk in the word of God. In fact, every church in the United States that has compromised that this is even the word of God and has begun to teach opposite and teaching the things of the world, they are closing their buildings down every week because people aren't going to those churches. Why would you go to church to listen to somebody tell you what you already know and you're already doing in the world? What's the difference if the church just says what the world says? We come here because we know we are going to be challenged by the word of God to shape us into who we long to be, which is Christ. That's why I really believe this is the word of God, by the way. I believe this book comes into every culture, into every person, and corrects lots of things. There's no perfect culture in the world that aligns perfectly with the word of God. Not even the Israelite culture did. That's why God had to write the book to correct the cultures. And it comes into every culture and makes its adjustment, including our own homes, our own hearts. And so we need to set ourselves under the word of God. We need to love Christ and allow him to work in us and not compromise it when the world offers us an easy out because the pressure is so heavy. It's hard to stand, but Moses is capable of doing it. He shows us a good route. He says, no, we're going to do it as the Lord says. And God says, great, I'm going to keep you protected. And indeed he does. He listens to Moses' prayer. He lets the, he lets the flies go he, or the insects go. And then Pharaoh doesn't listen, hardens his heart. And so we start on the second one. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. Notice he's now distinguishing himself. Let my people go. Release my people that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go... And still hold them. Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall very, uh, with a very severe plague. He's basically like, I'm going to smack you. With a very severe plague. And this is the first time death is going to show up. And it's going to fall on the livestock. Now this is interesting. It's going to fall upon the livestock that are out in the field. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Why say all that? What he's doing is he's laying out like he would say, Listen, I am going to smack you, and I'm going to shut down your trucks, your ships, your trains, and everything else that helps your commerce out. That's scary when I put in those terms, isn't it? In light of recent events. But the point is, he's saying, I'm shutting down the economy. I'm closing you all the way down because you're not listening to me. But Yahweh will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And Yahweh set a time saying, tomorrow, Yahweh will do this thing in the land. Poke. I love it. And so the next day, Yahweh did this thing. All the livestock of Egypt died, but Now one of the livestock of the people of Israel died and Pharaoh sent and behold, he he goes and checks it out. And behold, Israel, the livestock of Israel was dead, but the Pharaoh, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He, he dug in, he kept himself there. He wasn't going to go any further. He was still determined. He was going to keep these people. So he didn't let the people go. And so we have this interesting situation where suddenly God wants to, to make Israel distinct in their, in their economics. He says, look, I'm the God of Israel. Well, guess what? He's beyond your God. He is the God of Jesus, amen. He is the Father of Jesus, and therefore He is our Father. And He is beyond just protecting our economy because He wants to protect a nation. No, we are of all the nations, and we are His children now. And so He makes us distinct by caring for us as a family. You realize the, the reason you call God the Father, the Father is because you're in Jesus. He's Jesus' Father. Now, some people are like, well, he's the father of everybody because he made everybody. That's like saying the sperm donor is a good dad because he made a whole bunch of people in a city, but they never met him. No, a father is a relationship. A father is one who protects, provides, and stands with. That's the biblical view. So this is a good father. Not, I know some of us have bad visions of fathers and stuff like that, but a good father in the te- text is this one who cares, provides, aids, loves. And so this is who our father is. And when it comes to our economics, when it comes to our stuff, listen, what's weird is economics comes from a very particular word. It comes from home rules, economics, economos. And what it means is that it starts in the house. God cares about you and me as a family. No wonder that when Jesus starts talking about the idea of economics and the struggles that we can have in our home, he, he says, listen, I want to teach you about them. He says, I want you to pray. And when you pray, call our Father in heaven. He already knows what you need, so don't multiply your words. In fact, he goes on to tell you, don't stress out and worry about things. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or where are we going to get toilet paper? (sighs) Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles, the nations? They seek after these things. They get up in the morning and they worry about how am I going to get a paycheck? Cause I got to pay for the debt and I got to pay for the. So I got to get a. I got to work overtime, man. I better get there. I better not have any damage. I better have insurance. Look at how much we have built around not breaking things, just so we are not stressed out. and only makes us more stressed out because now you got to have a whole bunch of stuff, and all the prices is so expensive. How am I going to do? And what am I going to go? And how many people do you know who are living? like that I hope you're not thinking of yourself because my brothers and sisters in Christ he already knows what you need before you asked him we're not like the world where we have to stress out where our paychecks are coming from we can get food in the pantry it's the nations that seek after these things your heavenly father knows you need them all but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. One of the saddest things I see is overly anxious Christians about their finances. And it's because we forgot that God loves us as, as his kids. And he literally wants to provide for us. Well, I mean, the world's got so much more money. Yes, yeah, so did Egypt. They had all the crops, they had all the animals, they had all the stuff. You know, yeah, the Israelites had some, but God didn't say, I'm going to make you rich. He said, I'm going to protect what you have. And how many of us in the disaster of what we went through last year, God's still keeping you going. And I'm not saying that always is perfectly how it happens. Because, but I find it fascinating that sometimes God just loves to work in a miracle. us, It's been in my life. There was a time where we were very tight financially. I was a youth pastor, which means you're poor. And so the situation in our family was we had our third one on the way, and we had two two two-door cars and very small back seats. We're like, this ain't going to work. We need a van. And I don't know about you if you've checked on vans. Lately, they're even worse. But in the time, they were bad. They were expensive. We had saved up about $12,000. That was about the best we could do. And it was like, we have to get it now. We don't know where in the world you're going to find a $12,000 van. Everything was sixteen dollars and $32,000 for a van. So we had a friend. So we just start praying. We're like, God, please bring us a van. And my wife goes, and if it was an Odyssey, that'd be really awesome. You know, just kind of throw it up there, Lord. Let's softball this one. So, we prayed and prayed, and for a little while, we saved a little bit more, but really, we never got past that number. Finally, we're talking at a birthday party to one of our friends. He kind of worked in the car industry, and we're just like, hey, do you know of anybody who's got some cheap vans What's going on? He's like, oh, we just picked up a van just last week. We bought it off the lot. I'll sell it cheap for what we got it for. So, it's $12,000. It's a Honda Odyssey. It's got leather seats. It's super nice. It's got a little TV on. We're like, what'd you say? yeah, okay, okay we'll sign now please you know it's like it was one of those like we hadn't talked about price we hadn't talked about type we were just like do you have anything sometimes god likes to work in a miracle in answering of prayers but to be quite honest most of the time god likes to work through providence in 2008 when the financial crisis had hit all the branch had to look at their books like everybody else Knowing giving was going to go down, knowing all this stuff was going to go down, God blessed us with Buzz Brown as our executive director at the time. and man was really good at knowing how to save. And because of God had blessed us with this man at that time, we wound up being in the black at the end of the year and never went in the red for the rest for the whole time. Now, that was twofold. One, his diligent planning, and two, the gifts and the giving of the church. See, Jesus has made many of you so generous and it's been so beautiful, but to be quite honest, sometimes even in my own heart, I find that I need Jesus to do a little bit more work (laughs) because I want to hold on. I want to worry, but you know, most people in our church who have found themselves in a dire disaster, they, they think that, oh my gosh, I got to wait for the miracle. i got to wait for the miracle, but I want you to see how Jesus teaches us to pray. Because he doesn't say just wait for the miracle. In fact, he adds the practical, the the providential in. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks you for fish, is going to give him a serpent? If you then who are evil... Thanks, Jesus. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven, who is good, give you good things to those who ask him? But notice he says, do you trust that your Father in heaven is good and he wants to give you what you're asking for? But here's the thing. Don't just ask. Step out. Seek. Then knock. Knock. And how many of us are just sitting around waiting? God, now, please, please. And he's like, I answered your prayer the first time. Would you get up and go look? It's like the Amazon guy sitting there ringing your doorbell. Ding dong, ding dong. You're like, God, would you let the Amazon guy get here? Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And you open it, you're like, it's the Amazon guy. Thank you. Puts the box down. You're like, well, I hope the package comes soon. Are you kidding? Pick it up. Take it in. There's some practical aspects to this. God works through hard work. God works through our prayers. God works through providence. God works through miracle. But I have seen him sustain his church and his people over and over and over again. And even in the cases where people have died from starvation and other things, they all knew because it was from the persecution of the world, they had a greater joy coming in eternity. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to me in my death. So I don't have to worry about where my food comes from. I have to worry about what's on my back, but in general, the general principle is God is ready to go. He's ready to set us apart to provide for us. And uh, to be quite honest, if you're not a Christian, I don't know how you deal with it. How do you survive the stress of having to provide for every single thing of your desires and your wants and your and your debt and everything else? I mean that that should just that would drive me crazy. I mean, you feel that stress for one minute because it's all on you. And if there's traffic and you're late and you're losing money, man, no wonder people are mad. You see how different it should be? Because God does want to make a distinction. In fact, he wants to make a distinction in another way too. So let's finish this off. Verse 8. So we get through this situation, all the livestock die and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And so, Ingo, so Moses gets one more time. It was jab, jab, cross, no, 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 hey, let my people go on this one. It's just, let's do this. So Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, take the handfuls of soot from the kiln, which means they had to go out to the kilns where the, where the Israelites were working, grab the soot, let everybody know what's going on. And it's likely they followed him to go see what was next. Because now God's not done this to them twice. So now they're interested They want to see what's up. So they go marching in with him. And so they go out, they get this stuff from the kilns, and they march into the presence of Pharaoh. That's what it says in verse 9. It shall become fine dust when you throw it in the air over the land of Egypt, and they'll become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. Underline that. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And it says this. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Now, right here, what you need to know is this is, this word is a kartumim, this word magician. These are the lector priests. We get into this a little bit in that podcast we're talking about, but here you want to see these guys are the high priests and they can't even stand up. Moses can stand, Israel can stand, but the religious leaders cannot God's not only shut down Egypt's economy, now he's shut down their entire religious system. They can't offer prayers, they can't offer spells, they can't offer sacrifices, they can't even stand up. And what God does right there is he distinguishes between Israel's trust in Yahweh and their trust in their gods. And I believe God still will make us distinct mainly through our faith. Mainly by your faith, your Christianity. It is a radically different thing. And I believe that no single worldview, no single religion apart from Christianity can stand scrutiny like Christianity has. Um, it's been 2,000 years straight. Of argument and argument after argument of why Christianity is wrong, and then we've continued to answer the questions and continued to press forward and continued to show compassion and the transformation. And here's the thing: maybe you're somebody who's not quite a Christian. You've got another worldview. you you're, maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you're atheist. Maybe you're just secular. Maybe you just believe in a god, but you don't know who what god is. Maybe you're a Hindu or Buddhist. I don't know who you are. Will you do me a favor? Will you be as just you know as stern with your questioning? And as doubting of your own view as you are of Christianity before, you make a final decision. See, I've talked to a lot of atheists. I've talked to a lot of agnostics, even Buddhists over the years. What I've discovered is they're not willing to investigate their faith as deeply as they are to discredit Christianity. And I challenge you guys, Christians, please investigate your faith. I've yet to found a question that hasn't been well answered at some level throughout the history of the church. And I just want to encourage you, you don't have to fear. But if you have questions, ask them, ask them. Here's, here, you know, we, we invite you to ask questions. So send them to Brent Branchod. At, oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, you know, send them my way, Pastor at obcc.church I like to answer questions. We want to do the best that we can. And the reason why is I want you to see that we take this seriously. And I hope you take your beliefs just as serious that you would investigate them and ask at least 25 questions down before you're done. How is it that you can believe as a Hindu that there is good and bad in a world that's all illusion. What do you really do when someone is starving and in your face according to your worldview? Why? Why? As an atheist, why is it that you really think we should care more about human beings than animals? And if animals eat their young, why shouldn't we be allowed to let people eat their young if they wanted to? Or how about this? Why can't cannibalism be okay since chimpanzees do it at least between tribes? And they're our closest genetic neighbors. Are you claiming we're morally superior, that we're a higher intellect, that we're more capable? Where'd you get the idea of higher? How can you even say that? You're an animal. And press it on, and press it on, and press it on. i got lots of questions. Eventually, we stop living it out. And we'd rather just go watch TV. But that's not why we're here. We're here to be challenged by the word of God. We're here to be challenged. Because I believe that God desires to make his church distinct. Mentally, relationally, and everything else. Look. Even in history, the church is distinct. They're the fountainhead of hospitals, orphanages, universities, public schools, rules and warfare against your, your enemy and how you should treat them so you make POW camps and don't just enslave them or murder them on the spot. We are the ones who created the scientific revolution, democratic republics, mental health groups, international aid groups, sociology, and anthropology, and more all birthed from the desire of Christians to do one thing, which is obey the great commandment that Jesus has given us, which is this, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. This is not a, hey, love people because it makes you feel good. Hey, love people because you know what? You should do so, you naughty, naughty humans. You need to be more moral. That's not the call of Christianity. The call of every other religion will tell you, do this, do this, do this, and you will be moral. And then maybe you've paid your God off. Or maybe you'll look good in your society so they will trumpet you as a good person, a moral person. Christianity is not about the do, 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 do. It's about one thing that's already been done. We're already messed up. The only reason I'm going to love somebody and care about somebody is because, to be quite honest, I was loved. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What makes you distinct is not your knowledge, is not how good many times you come to church, and no, it's a relationship with God, but then it's also how that rubs off on you and transforms you because we love people. I I don't want to get out there and do the things we're going to do because somehow you think you've got to be a better person. That's not the gospel. It's not Christianity. Christianity is actually that God already did it for you. He gave you the gift. He wants to live with you. It's not about the rules of the do's and the don'ts. It's not about how look at me, oh, I feel better now about myself. And if that's why you're here, I just want to let you know that doesn't lead anywhere. But to more anxiety, more frustration, arrogance, lying, it turns a group of sinners into a bunch of pretenders. And that's not who we are. Because God already knew we needed Jesus. He's the only one that he set apart. And the only reason I'm going to be saved is not because of anything I did. It's because where my king goes is where I'm going to go. Who's your king? Who are you following? And can it stand? Because what you will receive in the end is what what you follow receives. And I, I just, I want to encourage you today. All that anxiety, all that doing it yourself, all that stuff can be set aside because God himself has done it for you. And the hardest thing that you're ever gonna have to do is a response. It's a response to receive something done for you, a gift given to you. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe that's the, this is the opportunity. God's being you saying, receive, receive this. It's, it's yours. I did it for you no strings attached come come follow me receive it I'll teach you how to love I'll teach you how to be who you really wanted to be maybe that's you today I want to give you a chance to do that would you bow your heads with me real quick at home outside if that's you and you're like you know what you're done with the anxiety. You're done with carrying it yourself. You're done with trying to make it all fit for yourself. And you're ready to receive the gift of God. Of Jesus Christ's work on the cross to get rid of the sin, the guilt, the garbage, and to give you a chance to know God and follow him. If that's you, I just want to give you that chance this morning to get right with God. But just putting your hand up, you're saying, that's me right here. Maybe you're at home. You can click that little hand up button that's showing up right now. Or maybe you're outside. Just indicate, I want to just Give you a chance to pray for a minute. So right where you are, I'm just start with this God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. And I want to turn away from that and I want to receive the gift in Jesus Christ. I believe that you've forgiven me. I believe that you're giving me life, and I want to follow now after you. Will you lead me into a life of loving others? Will you lead me into a life of giving? And lead me all the way into your reward, Jesus of heaven. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this. If you did that today, and um, if you're outside, inside, or wherever, you, you have this opportunity right now just to simply go, hey, I'm going to let somebody know. And this is, this is great. This is the best part because people get pumped up and excited about it when you let them know. Whether it's online or outside or in here, you can let somebody know in a couple ways. You can turn to somebody who you know as a Christian and say, hey, I just made that decision. And they'll probably hug you, um, just so you know. And otherwise, you can take uh, one of the cards and let us know. Drop in the box if you've got to get out of here or take it out to Connection Central. This is the starting place. This begins the journey, doesn't end it. And so we want to encourage you guys. We want to help you on that journey because God does want to make a distinct people. He's calling us out. He's bringing us in. So I hope that you're willing to come along. Thank you guys for being here. Brad's going to take it from here. He's got a couple of announcements and some thoughts, and so he won't, he won't hold you much longer. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your week.
2: All right. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, I got to do the announcements. Isn't that exciting? I'm going to keep you here just for... 15 more minutes, I'm kidding. Um, So, if you guys have been here for any amount of time, you know about uh, Care Portal. It's just one of the ways that we, as all of branchers, get to just show the love of Jesus to our community. And we're doing a jacket and sock collection. So, if you're wearing socks, keep them on. We don't want your used socks, but we're, uh, outside, you'll see a little sign over there, you'll see some socks and jackets. If you have a used jacket that's in decent shape, We have an opportunity to clothe those who need clothing uh, outside and you can just drop that off now or next week we're gonna be collecting as well. Um, Just write it down, don't forget, maybe set an alarm in your phone Saturday night. Find the old jackets in the closet, put them in the car, and bring them here. We're gonna donate those uh, to people who need jackets. And then as far as socks, we want some new socks because I don't know about you, but I don't like wearing used socks, so. If you guys can do that, it's just a great way for us to um, just show the love of Jesus to those in need. Um, The next announcement is uh, women in the church, we need a place to hang, right? My wife, she's got two little ones at home and one on the way, and so as my ministry to her, I'm going to let her go (laughs) to First Tuesdays, dads, step it up. And and women, if you're not married, then you don't have little babies holding you back. Come and make some friends. I mean, how many of you just struggle in in this world just to make real connections with people who share your values, who are running after Christ? I'm telling you, there's no better opportunity, women, than to come to a place where you're going to get loved on, you're going to make friends, you're going to get connected. Uh, We're going to worship and and hear the word together, and that is starting on March 1st, but it's going to be the first Tuesday of every month. Um, So please come to that. And, oh, by the way, it goes till nine o'clock for those who are booking babysitters. I don't know how 8.30 got on there, but, you know, it's nine. (laughs) Anyway, last announcement is, uh, I keep forgetting these announcements, guys. Oh, yeah, if you have school-aged children and you don't want them getting jacked up in the public schools, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Well, not really. We have a school at this church where your kids are gonna get to learn the values of the kingdom I'm serious, uh, it's so awesome. I get to work here during the week and I hear these kids, they're worshiping in the halls. They're, they're learning the word of God. There's some unbelievable teachers here who love the kids. They're pouring in the just kingdom values into your children and we give our church members a first opportunity to sign up. This is already filling up fast but it's gonna, uh, for like students who are coming back but um, this will open to OBCC members on February 22nd. And I'm just telling you, if you want your kids to come to this school, just get on that, sign up. The spots will fill up really quickly. But we would love to be able to uh, have your kids here all week and just pour into them and love on them and teach them the ways of God and the ways of math and, <laughs> and all the boring stuff, too. Um, well, that's it for the announcements. Last thing would just be stand up before you get out of here and say hi. If you haven't met your neighbor, maybe see what they're doing for lunch. I don't know, but we're, we're a community, so let's keep doing church all the way, all week long. And we'll see you guys back here next Sunday.